G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. He was, you know, mentally disturbed in many ways. Um, he was in Pentridge when their second daughter was born, and no one seemed to know where he was, whether he was in Pentridge or whether he was in Jay Ward in Ararat. It was some time before he even, Pam was a few weeks old before they could tell him that he had a daughter. Oh, wow. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. What do you do when your lifelong partner struggles with an addiction that is tearing the two of you apart? Today, Barbara Varney shares her experience with having an alcoholic partner that eventually committed serious crimes. We'll find out about the struggles they went through and how God eventually turned the whole situation around. Barbara's chatting with Shelley Scowan. Barbara, you had a fairly normal upbringing, and uh, tell us about how you met Tom in the first place. Oh, we um, met, uh, actually, I was working um, two doors from where he was doing a concrete, um, putting in Woolworths flooring in in Bensdale. Right. And um, I used to sometimes be out in the morning sweeping the footpath, and he'd walk past and and we just sort of um, started talking and... Um, and you knew the exact time of day that he would just happen to walk past every morning, didn't yes, you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd do it regularly every morning. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was meant to be. And then yeah. my girlfriend, who we used to go and um, uh, go into the shop, was working next door and she said to me... Um, Oh, Tommy Varney wants us to go to the uh, movies as a foursome. Are you interested going to the drive-in? And, and um, I was a little bit shy about it because, as I say, I wasn't 18 at the time, only 17. Right. And um, anyway, I decided that, yeah, I'd go along with them and... and um, we, I don't, couldn't tell you what the movie was about, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you enjoyed the company. Yeah, we just um, talked and, you know, as four young couples would do, I think. Yeah. And um, we really got on well together. And What did you love about Tom? Oh, he was a fine, upstanding, good-looking young man, very athletic, played a lot of sport, um, Played football for Bensdale, and I think he said he even had a run with North Melbourne in Melbourne. And wow. um, uh, also, he was a shooter and um, a very gifted know, shooter too. We should say. Really admired him. He was lovely, clean, um, shaven always, and um, you know, presented himself well and yeah. very popular. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so you got him. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was my prize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you both weren't Christians at this stage. That came a lot later in the story. But yeah. there were kind of warning signs early on for you that something wasn't quite right with Tom in that one of the early comments a friend said to you was that he drinks too much and he swears a lot. And so you confronted him with this and he changed. He said, right, I'll, I'll stop swearing and I'll stop drinking. Yeah, Which is, he said, now I've got a nice girl like you and um, I don't need to do those sort of things. Yeah. He didn't deny them, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, this uh, friend that was um, Coral that I went to the drive-in with and... Um, she she confronted me about his mm. drinking and swearing, so I thought I'll ask him straight out. Yeah. And anyway, because I had been, um, well, in those days, uh, we were brought up to, to go to church and Sunday school and that type of thing, so I, I knew right from wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, just, you didn't even think of um, going out with someone that, that would get um, drunk or anything like yeah. that. So. Yeah. so so you got engaged in 1959, but even then during your engagement there were a few warning signs then and you started to have a few doubts about your marriage? Oh, yes. Um, we were engaged for about 18 months before we got married. Yeah. And um, he played in two grand finals that 1959 with the... First with the seconds, they won that, and then he was picked to play in the grand final in the first. And um, because there was lots of drinking, went along with that. But um, at the time, I I didn't go to either either of the games because he said he was too nervous to play in front of me. <laughs> so <laughs> I kept away and just listened to it on the wireless. Oh, that's funny. Mm. But. Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I, d- I actually had never seen him drinking until um, just before we um, got married, actually, and mm. we started going to cabaret balls and, um, I don't know, barbecues at um, the mill where the, a lot of the footballers worked. Um, at the time, he was working as a concreter for his father, so that uh, we used to go mainly... When we were courting that, I'd um, drive the utility for him while he'd go out fox shooting and um, he used to shoot quite a few, um, I think he actually bought our engagement ring um, with the fox, the money he got from the fox sculpts. There you go. There you go. So you had lots of happy times together and you know, oh. the bonds were definitely there. Yay. But it was not real long into the marriage. It was about four or five years into the marriage that things started to go a bit downhill when you noticed that alcohol was really starting to become a bit of a problem for him. He was convicted of a number of crimes and ended up being sent to a mental hospital. But that's an interesting story in itself, isn't it? Because, I mean, one of the... The contributing factors was the day that you sent him out to get some butter on a little errand in the morning and he returned late at night uh, very much under the influence of alcohol and he'd already had a bit of a run-in with the police that night as well. And that was the catalyst for getting him into the mental hospital, wasn't it? Yes, yes. He um, was sent back to... uh, He started out in Hobson Park in... um, 
in Terrelgan in Gippsland and then um, he got very depressed. He didn't... I, I would go down to visit him and to bring him home at a weekend or something and he would get halfway home and then want to go back again and mm. he was, you know, mentally disturbed in many ways. Yeah. But um, he, he had... He wouldn't... Um, he was allowed to come and go there as he... Not as he wished, but he, he was free to go down the street and quite often he would get on the drink when he was out of the place and mix with other alcoholics at the, in the mental hospital there in Terrelgan. And then he, he um, came out and I think he got into more trouble with burning police cars in Moorwall and and um, also another police car there in Bensdale and uh, they sent him through to um, Pentridge and he was in Pentridge for when their second daughter was born and no one seemed to know where he was, whether he was in Pentridge or whether he was in Jay Ward in Ararat. And it was some time before he even... Pam was a few weeks old before they could tell him that he that he had a daughter. Oh wow! Mm. Wow, and that's awful. That was our second daughter, and um, then he got mixing with um, alcoholics and drug addicts and things, and getting up to all types of things, like even taking a few drugs. And um, this night, they he decided that he would try and cure himself by having one bottle of methylene spirits. He got someone to get him another six bottles and him and two other alcoholics escaped that night and there was a, a nurse coming in for the night and they gave him a little prod in the arm with a, a fork and um, they had put in the press that it was a pitchfork but it wasn't, it was just a little... Um, no, it's a fork that you were eat with. Oh, okay. Fork. And um, anyway, they went down to the nearest paddock and drank their six bottles of methyl between the three of them and mm. mainly between two of them because one of them had ulcers and said he didn't want to be drinking too much. And uh, one of the men died beside them and in the morning when they woke up, it was very hot weather and they were lying out in the paddock. They um, left Keith there in the grass, long grass, and walked off down the street and the uh, authorities picked him up again mm. and put him back into Jay Ward. Where Jay Ward he, being um, the mental hospital? Yeah, Jay Ward was the end of the road sort of thing. You're listening to The Story. Today, Barbara Varney is sharing about the struggles she went through with her husband, Tom. As we just heard, at this point in the story, they're in a dire situation as Tom's alcoholism is spiralling out of control. But we'll find out what happens when Barbara turns to God when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Barbara Varney about the struggles she went through with her husband, Tom. 
As we heard before the break, Tom was in the throes of his alcohol addiction and just witnessed the tragic death of a friend. At this difficult time, Barbara looks to God for help. One night, um, just before he was put back into a hospital when he was drinking methylated spirits when we were living at home, when he came home, I could smell it on him and I decided to confront him about it. And um, Well, he always he used to say, I don't want to be like this, and that's what, what you know, I knew that he didn't want to be like it. You know, it, yeah. it's a, it is a gene that can be in anyone, you know, and there's no respecter of persons alcoholism and um it's scary really (laughs) and can turn up anywhere and um and so you could see that beautiful person that he was he was your tommy he was your husband he wasn't this horrible creature that was portrayed in the media no no well on the whole if he was home he was he was a gentle giant you know unless sometimes he would get a bit nasty but um, I knew when to keep quiet sort of thing, yeah. you know. But I realised, I think, that it it was a disease in him, you know. Yeah. And to your credit, you stayed with him. I mean, he just kept on failing you and failing you and failing you. Mm. And at one point you did actually write him a note and said that you were finished. There'd be no more help from you. Yeah. But then he pleaded for one last chance, and I'm sure you're glad that you gave him that one last chance. Yeah, because well, that you was knew when that- I... Um, we had the the football ground at Painsville was just over the road from where we lived and I ran out and just cried out as loud as I could in the middle of the oval to God and said, God, mm-hmm. help us. And, you know, like sort of screamed at, at, in the air in the black of the night, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, then there was this peace came over me and I went back home and we talked most of the night. And so things did start looking up from there. He he did start to regain his self-respect and feel like somebody again. He started feeling normal. One of the inmates in the J Ward, the psychiatric hospital that he was in, that inmate said to him with a Gideon's Bible under his arm, Tom, God is your only hope. And that really was the turning point in Tom's battle, wasn't it? Yes, he was reading a newspaper and this uh, fellow came out and was talking to him about how... He got there and um, he said, Tom, God, your only hope of ever getting out of here. And he said, do you mind if I get you a Gideon's Bible? Well, the Gideons had been visiting J Ward for many years and never been able to get in there because they said everyone was too mad to read the Bible or read anything in there. And um, anyway, he, Tom was <laughs> probably the most sane person there. <laughs> and... Um, uh, so anyhow, um, he, he was uh, he went in and, and got it out of the library for Tom, and Tom put it in the news between the newspaper and took it to his cell because at the time they were locked up for eighteen hours of the day, and then he had let out for a short while. And mm. um, that that Christmas, I remember, I bought him a little torch. It was only about four inches long. And I thought, that's all I can afford for his Christmas present. And, you know, he, when they'd strip them down at night, take everything off, and he had he used to put that underneath his armpit and then take it in and read the Gideon's Bible at night. Wow. Um, he also uh, got a small one that he could fit under the other armpit. So he had his 
torch under one armpit and a small Gideon's Bible on the other one. <laughs> and he used to read it, yeah, all the time. And, and um, yeah, then when he first came out of um he sort of um, put, put the Bible away for a while, but then we started mixing amongst Christians and uh, people were coming around, um, you know, and we used to go to a lot of different churches and that in Ballarat and uh, just had... And then we went to the um, uh, crusade in Melbourne. I'll, I'll still remember that and... Yeah, the Billy Graham crusade. Yeah. At the MCG. Yeah, yeah there was 130,000 there, the biggest crowd that's ever been there. Wow. And it was amazing, you know, to hear all the songs and um, George Beverly Shea and, yeah. oh, just beautiful it was. And we had my sister went forward the same day as I went forward and gave my heart to the Lord. Tom had... Um, got baptised and that and the little church we were going to in Ballarat and I couldn't understand that because I, I'd always gone to church and that and said you know why can't you just come to the Church of England <laughs> and come with me you know yeah and he, he um, just went on, uh, uh, you know he just grabbed the Christian way of life and just wanted to go on with God. He didn't yeah. care where he went sort of thing. And there was a massive life change in him once he became a Christian. It was just chalk and cheese, the, yeah. a completely different man. Yeah, totally different. Yeah. He had a happiness and, um, you know, unbelievable change and all that depression. And, and um, he, he did used to get a bit bad tempered, I remember, when... Uh, they call it being a dry, dry drunk, you know. Yeah. And the only thing is, I never drank, and right. you know, you get uh, the sugars. I suppose uh, used to all the, um, um, you know, then you get low sugar and that, and and get very angry with uh, if things didn't go his way. But somehow we um, got through that, and then. Uh, but once he became a Christian, you know, he was totally different and um, mm. different person again. And an interesting postscript to all of that too is that he had such faith in God um, that one day when he was just cruising along and, you know, life was great for you guys, uh, the police officer rocked up on your doorstep and served him notice to appear in court because he actually hadn't served time for the crimes that he had committed. No. He'd served time in the mental hospitals, yes. but he hadn't actually paid any penalty for the crimes he'd committed. No. Um, well, they put him, um, they certified him insane yeah. when he was in Pentridge and sent him through to Jay Ward. Well, they couldn't touch him while he was there, but then when he was well enough, well, he still had to pay for, you know, as yeah. far as they were concerned, he was... I think looking at fourteen years in prison. Wow! And um, just when life was looking up for you guys, yeah, well, <laughs> it was a real disaster when the um, police come to our door. Yeah. And, uh, well, they came on the job actually 
where he was working with yeah. the Arteans and, and served in the papers. But the good news is he never actually had to serve it. And that in itself, you know, he said to you, no worries, sweetheart, I have the best advocate there is. Yeah, he, he said would that God is it. on our side. <laughs> um, and it's true, God was on your side. That's because right. he was miraculously given a pardon, even though he'd done some pretty awful things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they said at, in this court, this, this is not the same man that, you know, that's standing here and fine upstanding. Yeah. man well dressed and uh, speaking on his own behalf and everything that um, was brought before the court you know yeah. we can't um, it wouldn't make sense to send him to prison when he was a completely changed man. And he went on to prove that. He was, you know, completely changed for the next 40 years before he died just a couple of years ago. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he uh, had a very victorious life and yeah. a wonderful life, really. And yeah. And what a joy for you, too, as the wife. I mean, you did it tough in those years and you stood by him, much to your credit, um, and he couldn't have done it without you. And, of course, you got to enjoy those decades of um, happy married life with him after that as well. Yes. Yeah, we went overseas. You spoke over in uh, America and we went in 1973. In he went over and then he said, I want you to come over and... We'll go to Catherine Kuhlman meeting in New York, the Full Gospel Businessmen's Convention next year, and our pastor and his wife came with us, and we had a month travelling all over America, going to all the different meetings, and Catherine Kuhlman spoke in New York, and New York knew that she was there too. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing at the Americana Hotel, and... Yeah, and Tom got up and shared his testimony and I remember another man that took us home to his motel in uh, Oklahoma he used to work for the underworld he had I think he said he had something like 14 uh, 40 women working for him when he was 17 but he used to say that he was only a Sunday school kid against Tom <laughs> when yeah. Tom gave his testimony you know yeah, wow. Yeah, but well, we met some amazing people um, when we were in America that time. So many great opportunities to share the story and hopefully um, bring others to a knowledge of the Lord through that. And I know you've produced a few, quite a number actually, quite a number of books and tracts that are available as well that have a bit more detail of the story than we've been able to give this morning. But just a great story of the way that God has just had his hand on both your lives. Uh, you've been through the ringer, but you've come out the other side, and it did ultimately lead to both of your salvation as well, uh, which is obviously the, the priceless treasure that comes out of all of this, hey? Yes, it's been worth it all. When, yeah. You know, when um, this is the, you know, God had to, we had to go through this to to really know, get to know God and and the reality and have a relationship with um, Jesus Christ. And it's just been a wonderful time for us. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Barbara Varney about overcoming the difficulties of her husband's alcoholism and battle with mental illness. As we just heard, after an arduous journey, they both made the decision to give their lives to the Lord and to encourage others to do the same. 
And as it says in the Bible, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What a blessing that they were able to share their incredible story with others before Tom's passing and that Barbara is able to continue his legacy by sharing it with us today. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. They took him away. He'd already had an operation. He had a... uh uh, a name, it's around about 14 feet long, but it all <laughs> amounts to dying bowel syndrome. And second day alive, he had an operation, a small operation to remove that part of the bowel that was clogged. And he underwent a second one on his third day, and he, uh, he never recovered from that one. Gil Hunt from Bunbury, Western Australia, has gone through his share of unexpected twists and turns in his life, including the heartbreaking death of his newborn son. We'll hear how, despite it all, his faith has grown deeper next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 